Welcome back to the Movie Babble Podcast. This week you have myself and Brennan. Um, and we're talking not about The King's Daughter, unfortunately. Uh, but before we we dive into movies that we are going to talk about, how are you doing? Uh, not too bad. Yeah, I missed out, sadly, on The King's Daughter. But uh, it seems like everyone missed out on it, so not alone. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm just going to peg this movie as making negative money um, at a budget of $40 million. Uh, it's, it's been around for eight years at this point. <laughs> it's been in the can. Um, I yeah, I don't think this movie's making money. <laughs> the more research you do on it, the more baffling the existence of it seems to be. A film that was shot eight years ago and has been sitting, and what a time to dump it to January, um, in in the COVID era. It's very odd. The the COVID era that not even Morbius would touch. Um, yeah, just, just baffling. <laughs> but fortunately, there are movies that we do want to talk about um, that were not uh, just complete dumpster fires like uh, the the King's Daughter appears to have been. Uh, so we've got Five Cream, the uh, requel to uh, Scream, and then we've also got the Tragedy of Macbeth, um, which you know has been out for a little while, uh, but but dropped on Apple TV Plus. Um, here recently, and so it's it's kind of wildly av- widely available. Um, I know this was the first chance I got to check it out, um, and I'm pretty sure you were in a similar boat, right? Yeah, actually, I did see it in theaters um, right before they shut down here for a month. So that was just right after the new year struck. Um, it was playing in a couple of theaters, so I did go and check it out. Just because of what I've what I've heard about it. I thought, you know, it'd be a worthy movie to check out in theaters. Um, and it certainly was, but then I got to rewatch it again once it did drop on Apple. Um, yeah, I'm excited to talk about that one. Yeah, let's just go ahead and start there. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but I feel less motivated to see something when it's just streaming and when it's not in theaters because I just love that theater high of just watching something on the big screen. Um, but this was one of the movies that I was like, you know what, I know I'm not going to get to see it in theaters, but I do really want to check it out. Um, so this was like one of the few streaming releases that I was actually like, all right, weekend of, I need to sit down and watch this. Um, so this, yeah. this was, this was a bigger one for me, um, directed by half of the Coen brothers, um, which I think is a pretty unique thing, um, because, you know, they're typically the Coen brothers. Um, so it's interesting to see them. Um, just handle a solo project. Um, you know, Shakespeare is always, I, I always really like Shakespeare adaptations um, just from like a, a perspective of being able to study like what the director is bringing to the table. Because um, with something like, you know, Shakespeare is the most wi- widely known and, you know, stolen, rebooted, rehashed, you know, stories out there. So it's, it's really nice when you have something where you know what the basic structure of it is before you even see the movie. And so you can really see like all the garnishings that are brought on top to really you know, bring it to life in a new light. Um, so, you know, even before I got into the movie, I was excited to see it from that standpoint. Yeah, I think I was, pr- I got pretty excited about this movie the moment I saw all the still images that were coming out. Um, it just kind of looked visually insane. And uh, the way that I, I watched the first trailer, I think it was like a 30, 40 second um, pretty much just straight vibes, really. There, there was no, they weren't really showing too much in terms of actual dialogue or anything, but 
it was from there that I got pretty interested in this project. Um, and yeah, Joe Cohen alone working on something. I, I researched a little bit about the reasoning behind that. And I mean, I think it's just his brother isn't that interested in Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> and it's something that Francis McDormand, obviously Joe Cohen's wife, had been wanting to do. Um, so it was, I, I feel I do feel like it's more of their project and their baby here that they brought to uh, the big screen um, and the small screen. But yeah, it's uh, certainly something that I was excited for. I can't say that I'm a huge fan, though, of Shakespeare adaptations like yourself. It's something that it's it, for me, sometimes it's hard to um, get accustomed to or really get into when I watch it. But um, I definitely, uh, definitely wanted to check this out as soon as I could. Yeah. Um, and, and just kind of on that note, as far as the Shakespeare adaptations that I'm familiar with, uh, Macbeth actually is one of my lower on, on the, the Shakespeare rankings. Um, it's not as low as Romeo and Juliet, uh, but for me, <laughs> Hamlet's where it's at uh, when, it, when I think of Shakespeare. How about Nomeo? How about Nomeo and Juliet? <laughs> Nome- All right, Nomeo and Juliet, number one. <laughs> um, but I, I, like, I like more of the comedies that Shakespeare did, like Much Do About Nothing and um, Midsummer Night's Dream, but, um, you know, so, so it was interesting for me just walking into something that I knew wasn't one of my favorite works, um, and just being a little bit more wowed by, by what it was in this adaptation. Um, and I do think this is probably one of the prettiest movies to look at, um, of this past year. Like it's, so I'm sure there's going to be complaints that it's in four, three black and white, um, which is dumb if you're complaining about that. But if you're looking at just like the actual resolution of it, I mean, this was some really sharp imagery um, and just these beautiful shots. I think there's one that's been going around Twitter quite a bit, which is uh, kind of an homage to the Seventh Seal. It's got uh, the witch, the witch standing there, just like Death does when he when he confronts him in the Seventh Seal. Um, yeah. Just the composition of everything in this movie was just so pretty to look at. Yeah, they definitely had a vision that they went for. And speaking of the witches, Catherine Hunter is probably my favorite part of the movie, I think, from uh, aside from just the gorgeous uh, cinematography and very um, absorbing minimalist production design. In terms of just actors, Catherine Hunter brings something to this movie that every time she's on screen, you kind of get some more life injected into things. Um, yeah, it's, it's she, she was phenomenal. Yeah, and I really love the way that they are able to build three characters out of, you know, only ever, there, there's yeah. a few shots mm-hmm. where you can actually see all three of them. Um, but just the way they're, they're building this environment and these conversations that are between three very distinct characters in the moment, but it's this, just this one actress just, you know, playing with what she's able to do with her range and what they're able to, you know, the angles they're able to switch around with on the camera um, that comes off really, really well. I mean, it was nice because I think the only time I've seen Catherine Hunter in anything else was Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Mm. <laughs> so it was nice to see Mrs. Fig um, just out here in a different <laughs> role. Um, but there actually were quite a few Harry Potter people in here. Because um, you've got uh, Dudley, uh, Harry Melling was in this movie, uh, Burning Gleason was in this movie. Um, I feel like there's one more I'm forgetting. But it was it was nice to see these actors that you don't necessarily see in a lot of you know, non-franchise things, um, or even that you don't see in a lot of larger roles. Like Harry Milling does, you know, smaller roles in, in quite a bit of stuff, but it was just nice to see them be so prominent um, as actors I recognize but didn't really know. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, 
the one thing about this movie that I must say is, while I did enjoy it, um, I don't know, I still did feel that disconnect with, I guess, the whole Shakespearean nature of it. Maybe it's just me personally, I, but I do feel like a lot of people are like this, how they can't fully adapt to the content. But I do think that there was a, a real vision here that was nailed 100% by Joel Cohen and by the team behind this movie. I feel like it, if there's a mission that they're setting out to accomplish, they did, and they certainly get A-plus effort for that. Um, I also really like the sound design here. I think it was a real interesting thumping tone that, that you kind of hear throughout the film that, that really um, keeps the mood up. But yeah, it's, it's, it's something that can't say it was my favorite film of the year of the, or of the past year, but from a craft's point of view, it's it's undeniably great. Yeah, and I would I would agree with that. Um, what I really liked about this movie is something that you don't really see in a lot of Shakespeare adaptations. Is either you know when when you watch a movie that's been adapted from Shakespeare, either it's just the play again, like it'll just be like you know these really really minimal like sets with you know large horizons, or it'll be just completely over the top just you know how, how much 20 21st century energy can we inject into this thing um and this adaptation didn't do either of those um but i really liked how it kind of lacked a lot of that gallantry and it just had a lot of these really like claustrophobic sets um like i particularly liked and it's kind of the the least busiest set um but the the bridge they're fighting on at the very end where it's just this very narrow like stone corridor and it really like takes a lot of the the showmanship out of that sword fight um and turns it into like no these are two humans who are having to swing this giant metal object at each other like <laughs> they're tired they keep hitting the walls um it just it just brought a nice dose of reality to that story and to that environment yeah yeah it's a good point um yeah, I liked also a lot of the scene transitions. Mm -hmm. Just the way uh, the way they blended a lot of the scenes together were was pretty impressive. And I mean, you just can't deny that scene after scene, you're you're kind of awestruck at, at just the framing in this film. And and when you said the resolution, when you said the film is kind of crystal clear, it really is because I mean, I saw it in theaters and it looked great. But then you watch it on um, my computer at home um, with uh, or through Apple TV, right? And you kind of see how nice it looks and i kind of got closer and closer to the screen i'm like damn this is <laughs> this is this is pretty crystal clear yeah um but i'm i'm gonna echo a lot of what you said like i really liked this movie um it's not my favorite of the year but you know there's just so much craftsmanship brought to brought to the movie that there's very little to dislike even if you don't love it yeah no no kidding and what do you what do you make of uh, denzel's performance here um, I really like, so Denzel is an actor who I've always been kind of like on the fringes of in terms of just things I've seen. Um, so like training day is a big gap in my, my film, <laughs> uh, history, but I really liked what he did here. Um, it definitely made me want to see more of him. Um, and I, I kind of started down like a Denzel rabbit hole a little bit with Malcolm X last year, but I mean, he doesn't mm -hmm. disappoint. He's a, He's a good actor. Hot take. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's uh, he's not bad, eh? <laughs> this guy's going places. Um, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. He was great. Um, yeah, I, I thought he brought a lot to the role. Especially, I like when he pulled a little equalizer near the end there, yeah. uh, flipping the knife on. <laughs> but no, it was. He, he, he's he's always great. Yeah, I really enjoyed this one. Um, 
but I think kind of the the bigger release of the past few weeks has been Five Cream, uh, Scream, which I was I was a little confused because I thought you know Scream was ahead of the trend of the whole like reboot sequel thing with Scream Four, uh, which I thought in a lot of ways was like you know how do we how do we move this from the '90s to the to the cell phone age, um, and then this movie kind of did a lot of that same technology leap again. Um, but as someone who has no desire to ever watch Scream 4 again, if this movie was on TV, <laughs> I'd watch it again. Uh, so it's, huh. it's much improved. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I, I feel no kind of ill will towards a lot of the films. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, at, at the very least, lukewarm on pretty much every single movie in this franchise. Um, obviously, the first one's phenomenal. But uh, yeah, I, I've I've kind of had positive reactions to pretty much all of them. Um, through watch, I've, I've seen them all only once, so I haven't gone back to rewatch watch them at all. But yeah, it's interesting that you say that. So you're not a huge fan of the fourth one, then? No, I so I've only the only one I've seen more than once is the original, um, and mm-hmm. I really like Scream. I really like Scream Two. Um, in my opinion, Scream Three, at least according to my letterbox ranking is the one that I thought was the worst when I watched them. Mm. And this was like early pandemic days. I watched all four of them at that point. Okay. Um, so dang, that would have been two years ago. Um, but three and four, almost. I just, yeah. I think three gets to a point where it's like foot in mouth over just like acknowledging that it's making fun of its own tropes at that point. Um, I feel like scream four at least tries to do something a little bit different, but scream five, I think would probably be my second or third in the rankings if I were to rank them all hmm. again. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I liked it. I think it was it was good, it was fresh, but I think there's a lot to unpack with this movie. Um, and, I mean, Scream is known for being meta, right? It's, it's, it's a very meta franchise, but this movie really leaned into it more than I think I expected going into it. I really did expect, I'm not going to say run-of-the-mill, uh, requel but i did expect something that would be a lot more grounded in those older films and sure it is but um they really play with the whole concept of pretty much everything in the industry right now um to to like an 11 out of 10 extent like it's 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 pretty in your face and it could be jarring i think for some people i don't know if i've seen that reaction i think most people are pretty positive with this movie um but i think it could be jarring for some people uh, for me though, I I, I kind of dug the 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 way they went with things, and I really like the new cast as well. I think a lot of them are are pretty good. Um, yeah, were you were you a big fan of the new cast, or was was it was the positiveness kind of coming from seeing a lot of those old faces back again? So I really liked um, the new cast. I liked just the different dynamics it brought to things. Um, I really didn't see a point of having the original cast in other than to say, "Hey, we're here." Um, cause you could, you could pretty much swap Sydney and Gail out scene for scene and get the same movie. Um, cause they do so little to differentiate themselves just in, in terms of, you know, their role in the movie and what they actually mean to anything that's going on. Um, and then I feel like, do we, they like start to do, uh, as soon as they start making references to Star Wars, um, and the movie's been out for over a week at this point, so... I'm going to get into spoilers, but um, yeah. I was like, oh, so this is our Han Solo, so someone's going to kill him. And then 
20 minutes later, guess what happens? <laughs> um, so it's yeah. like, it's, I don't know. I, I think this scream is different from the other screams in the sense that it's being meta, not just on itself, whereas scream one is very much making fun of the horror genre in particular, like Friday the 13th, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, obviously Wes Craven's just stabbing at his own work in that one. And then um, Halloween. But, you know, with this one, they're they're taking bigger swings at just, like, movies in general. So there's, like, the whole big uh, Star Wars debate <laughs> coming in there. Um, mm-hmm. And then just talking about, like, you know, treating... or I'm sorry, it's Stab 8, not Star Wars 8. Um, right. But, that it, yeah, like you said, it's very yeah. in-your-face. It's easy to know what they're talking about. Um, and so I, I, I like that they're taking bigger swings, but I don't think they're handed as handled as deftly as like the original scream did uh, because so much of it is just this really long almost robotic sounding dialogue where certain characters are just like explaining <laughs> how sequels and fan service work um, which i i agree with a lot of what they're saying um and just in terms of like fan service is crazy like <laughs> why are we letting fans determine what's going to happen in the movie um but i feel like because they go to such lengths to get into that um they kind of pull back the veil on what they're going to end up doing with the movie um in a lot of ways and i think that that played out really really strongly with dewey where as soon as they kind of got into those same beats and started talking about getting into those same beats so i was like oh i know where this character's journey is ending right and it ended pretty pretty soon yeah (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i mean I don't want to say I was underwhelmed, but I think I was a little bit by the film. I still liked it quite a bit, but I think a lot of that just came from, you know, hyping yourself up after first reactions come out, because I think people were really positive on this thing after that first night or first two days. Um, and I think people were really, really hyped about this. And I think you're right, though, about bringing back the old cast. Maybe you could have switched them out, but I, I really do think... If they do go for a Scream 6, which it seems like money-wise that <laughs> might be where we're headed, but we might get into that in a minute, but um, I think it really does cement this franchise as one that belongs to that original cast, and I don't know if they could ever pull away. Like I know they have the television series, which I don't know if you've ever seen it. I haven't, but I haven't. no one, I, I don't think anyone from the films are in that series at all. I'm not aware but uh, it, it's a show that people seem to like, I'm pretty sure. So, um, but yeah, I do feel like they're kind of tying themselves to that original cast. And if we do have a sixth one, I, I, I don't think they'd break away from that. Yeah, and I think that's a difficult thing about Scream is it's the first franchise that ever became a franchise in, in horror following its protagonist. Whereas, you know, all the, the other big three, Halloween, Nightmare, and Friday, you're all following the killer, right? Like, Michael Myers is the only one that consistently shows up. You know, Laurie is off and on in those movies, but it's all Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, Friday the 13th, it's all Jason. Nightmare on Elm Street, that's all Freddy. Um, and, you know, occasionally you'll have people return, but, um, you know, you're following this faceless entity for most of those movies. Whereas with Scream, you know, the first one is very much Sydney's movie, and so the second one was very much Sydney's movie. Um, and so you're following this protagonist. So I can understand why for audiences it would be hard to shift, because, you know, Ghostface is going to die and be replaced, you know, in the next movie anyway. So it's hard to 
like keep trying to get people to invest in a new killer and in a new set of protagonists. So I think this could be a, a decent handoff um, if we want to continue to go to the Star Wars route. That would mean that uh, Sydney's going to die in, in Scream 6 and that Gail's going to die in Scream 7. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then the new cast will take over from there. Um, uh, but I, I think it's also interesting that they left a lot of this cast alive. Like a lot of these people get attacked but still survive. Um, which you don't really see a lot of in the other screen movies, so I feel like no, yeah, they 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 definitely went a different route, especially just from the opening mm-hmm. scene, right? The opening sequence that you expect, uh, obviously the um, uh, Jenna Ortega's character to get kind of killed off there right away uh, as she's attacked in the opening scene, and she ends up living, which kind of, I mean, it it definitely changes the um, the route from previous screen movies. So from there on, I knew it was going to be something a little bit different at least yeah and i really liked that because you know the the allusions to the first screen movie are very obvious there right that's the drew barrymore scene so i was fully expecting to see like you know same thing phone call hung up in a tree parents come home we move on to the actual protagonists of the movie Um, but i like that she was not only was she such a prominent role but they did a good job of hiding that in the marketing where in the Mm. in the trailer she very much seems like an expendable character and even in the moment um, that that killing is going on in the movie, she still seems very expendable um, until you get to that next day and she's still alive. Um, so my my expectations were subverted there, and I really liked that. Yeah. Now, how about that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood style kill? I loved it. In the end. What's, uh, what's, your, make, what's your take on that one with, obviously, same actress there, uh, Mickey or Mikey Madsen, Madison? Um, was that... Uh, was that a tribute? Was that a connection? What do you think? I'm pretty sure that was an homage because that was such a specific way. Um, because both both yeah. times she's seemingly dead are, are ripped straight from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where she catches on fire, and then where she gets shot at the end uh, after pulling up. <laughs> so the I've seen one of the writers there, um, James Vanderbilt. He's come out and he said, "No, it's a it's pure coincidence." But I don't know. Like it's. I, I can't trust that. To be fair, it's just too. It's too. And once upon a time in Hollywood, I think she was shot first and then burned, so it's a little, little different. But mm, okay, <laughs> they messed around with it a bit, but no, still, still a cool moment, and still something that I think if you've seen both films, I mean, you get a little bit more out of it. Yeah, and I do like. I did like her character because you know, Scream. Kind of the big thing is there can always be two killers, and I think Scream Three is the only one where there isn't. Uh, and I'm, I may be incorrect. Right, yeah. Scream 4 might just be the one girl, but I'm pretty sure there were two. There was an accomplice in that one as well. Um, and so, like, I I thought I pegged the first killer early on, which was uh, her character, which I think is Amber. Uh, but the second one completely got me by surprise. I was like, all right, I didn't I didn't see that one coming. Um, so I did like that there was... No, that was good. That was yeah. good. And, and I think Jack Quaid just plays all of that really, really well. <laughs> Yeah, is he? So he's Dennis Quaid's son, right? Yeah, um, I don't know if you've ever seen The Boys, but he's the main character in that. Okay, uh, people are going because I don't know. I'm just not too familiar with him, um, but people have been kind of he's uh, obsessing over him as of late. So shout out to Steven Soderbergh. He's uh, also one of the Hillbilly Brothers in Logan Lucky. Right. That okay. uh, yeah wants to steal for religious reasons. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I remember that. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was great. He definitely suited the role well, and yeah, a good curveball he offered up. 
um, in the final bit of the film there. But with how good this movie's doing, obviously already, I think after, what, six days, it passed the total gross of Scream 4. It's only a matter of time, I think, before we get another one. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there was definitely a big gap between Scream 4 and this one. Um, and Wes Craven passed away during that. Uh, but I think kind of similar to Halloween, now that we have the new creative team behind it, and they're going to take it in whatever direction they have pre-planned out. Because um, unlike uh, Stab 8, I'm pretty sure they have like a long-term plan for <laughs> Stab 9. Yeah. Um, <laughs> unlike Disney, I, I think they're they're coming into this with the intention of knowing where it's going to end. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm not going to be surprised at all when Six Cream comes out. Yeah. No, I think they'll, they'll announce it sooner or later, I think, because, I mean, they took down Spider-Man's crown, right? So, yeah. I mean, and they, they, they overperformed, so it's uh, it's solid. And the word of mouth has been good. Um, it's only a matter of time. Yeah. Um, and I think this movie might be one of the most brutal out of all of them. Like, some of the kills are just, like, man, they, they really play with the tension. Um, you know, there's that scene kind of in the first act, maybe beginning of the second act, uh, with the, the police captain and her son, where they're just really mm-hmm. playing with, like, the camera leading you around all these corners and where's the killer going to be and then just the killer jumping out, um, you know, at, at these really tense moments. Um, but I think the direction in this I really liked as well. Yeah, no, that, that was a great scene. I was thinking of that exactly when you mentioned uh, probably one of the more gruesome of them that came to mind right away. But yeah, I mean, if they keep them fresh, if they keep them good, I'm down for more. I think um, they really had a vision for this one going into it that they just wanted to kind of try to do a little bit of a spoof on what we're seeing today in, in Hollywood and with, you know, fan culture and fan service. So that was cool. That was good. I'm, I'm down with that. I'm excited to see if they, they do anything more with it. Um, and I think also with its box office performance, it, it's probably the kind of the start of now getting into this new year movie-wise. I don't think too many more movies will shift. However, we did see our beloved Mission Impossible <laughs> 7 get moved back again another year. But it's too soon. Um <laughs> I don't want to talk too about soon. it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like this is a good sign for the months to come, especially just with the way, with how quick. I mean, it, it is tragic how fast this variant has spread, but it does seem like, at least here, they've said, you know, it's it, it's peaked. It's going to go down now from this point on just because of how fast it spread. Um, I think the schedule is going to stay pretty tight for the next few months. Yeah, and you know, there's really not a lot of competition coming out for Scream. <laughs> you know, uh, this coming week is the weekend uh, vacated by our dearly departed Morbius. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of what the next, like, big event movie kind of, or franchise movie would be, and I think it might be Batman. Like, it's, it's a while. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, a week or two before that is Uncharted, which That's is kind right. of a question mark movie, which I think will perform well. But how well, I think, will be the question. It's a movie that I think people have been excited for for a while, and just the delays have been big. And Tom Holland's definitely got something to prove right now if he can kind of show up outside of uh, the MCU as well. So that might be one that pops off a little bit. But yeah, besides that, we're not looking at too much. I I know Jackass Forever is probably going to bring its fans out. Oh, hold Um, on. I, I disrespected my man Roland Emmerich. We got Moonfall coming out in two weeks can't wait <laughs> yeah we got moonfall i mean it it's still a quiet period though for a little while um we got the 
absolutely curse death on the Nile <laughs> in mid-February. And then our first rom-com in a while, which I hope does well, with uh, J-Lo and Owen Wilson, Marry Me for Valentine's Day week. Yeah. So. I, uh, you know what I think I'm going to do? Because right before Mission Impossible was delayed, there was a uh, re-release announced that would easily be in my top ten uh, theatrical experiences this year. And that is the uh, is... the Godfather's 50th. Yes, com- 100%. Coming in Dolby. Um, I am pumped to see that on the big screen. Just Yeah, that'll be cool. I'm ready. And then they got the re-release of the whole trilogy set, I think, later this year as well, on 4K. Um, and I saw someone do a little bit of research, and they went through their... This is just on Twitter, people posting, but they went through their local theater listings, and they had two weeks after the first one, part two is going to come to theaters as well, and then part three after that. I don't know if that's going to happen, but someone did find that on their theaters uh, listings. I'm hoping so, because um, I've seen the, the only Godfather movie I've seen on the big screen is The Godfather 3, and that was for the, uh, the Coda re-release. The Coda. <laughs> yeah. So I would, I would prefer to like fill all the gaps now that the new one's coming out, but... <laughs> yeah. Um, also, just before we do wrap up, I do want to give another shout-out to another movie that just hit streaming this weekend, which is on Amazon Prime, and it's Askar Farhadi's A Hero, which I got to watch today, which was really brilliant stuff. His last two movies I haven't seen, but I think they both won Best uh, International Feature, which was A Separation in 2011 and The Salesman in 2016. Um, this is just a guy who loves moral dilemmas <laughs> and just moral conflict and every single movie kind of follows those beats but they're all really damn good so a hero just hit prime this weekend which i definitely would like people to check out because it was it was another another really well told story about that moral dilemma from uh farhadi who's kind of become a well-renowned global international director nice um yeah, I think that is that's all the things. Unless you want to deep dive into the King's Daughter, but <laughs> <laughs> next week I'll make sure to check it out. Then we'll be back with a big, big deep dive next week on that one. Bold of you to assume it's going to get a second week at the box office. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, what's a, I mean? I don't know. Poor, poor Pierce pouring <laughs> out for the guy. Um, but that is this uh, past two weekends at at the box office with. Scream 5, or Scream, whatever you want to call it. Scream with a V inside the M, um, is what it was marketed <laughs> as. Um, and then also for the tragedy of Macbeth. Uh, so we'll be back next week, uh, morning over Morbius vacating the, the weekend, um, and talking about more movies. So remember, you can always check us out online at moviebabble.com. 